Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Play the point. Today is April 11th, 2017. Pete C. Brown of Tennis Acumen, joined as always by Jared Pine of A Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete. How are you doing? Yes, doing very well. And we wrapped up Davis Cup quarterfinal action over the weekend. And concurrently, we are into the clay court season. But uh, we're going to first off talk about Davis Cup, all the exciting activity over the weekend, and two of the bigger names. We've seen their names cross paths. A couple times earlier this year, Nick Kyrgios and Novak Djokovic, they're a collision course, if you will, but we're going to first talk about Nick Kyrgios leading the Australians to victory over the Americans in Brisbane, and uh, Kyrgios came good twice in singles, Jared, to defeat the Americans, uh, led off first off by Jordan Thompson, we'll talk about that in a second, but uh, Nick Kyrgios. All good, and uh, you you know you look at a a really really close encounter with Federer as a loss uh, here in Miami. Other than that, uh, wow, he's been on fire for the last couple months. Yeah, absolutely. He's one of the hottest players in tennis right now, and uh, that's what you expected from him going into Davis Cup, and that's what you got out of him in the end. So, uh, a really impressive performance for him, particularly in that first match, the the very important one there, and then closing the deal against Sam Querrey clinching it for Australia. Um, he was clearly the hero in that one. I think the big surprise, as you mentioned, came from uh, Jordan Thompson, but Kyrgios, the hero, he's their go-to guy, and he came through in a big way for them. Yeah, all credit to Nick Kyrgios, and uh, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about Thompson in a second, but uh, I was a little surprised. Uh, Jim Courier, who's got a pretty nice gig in Australia on Channel 7 for the Australian Open. His on-court interviews after matches are just fantastic. He can uh, ad-lib a little bit more in Australia than maybe here, as I've heard him say. You know, he uh, he said damn one time on the USA Network, and he got reprimanded, and he said, come on, man, this is cable. And uh, he can let it fly a little bit more in Australia. But I was surprised, Jared, Courier uh, sort of uh, – a little gamesmanship saying to that Nick Kyrgios will feel the pressure. I, I kind of get the feeling that Kyrgios, if he even heard that, kind of just chuckled that off and said, you know, I don't really care what the coach of the USA says. I'm here to take care of business, and he did just that. Your thoughts maybe a little bit on Jim Courier throwing a barb or two at Kyrgios? Well, you know, maybe maybe Jim Courier was right. Maybe Nick Kyrgios did feel the pressure, and he's one of those guys that can respond positively to pressure. And and let me just make that argument for you. He played six sets. He won all six sets. Three of them went to tiebreakers. One of them was 7-5. There's no more pressure in a tennis match than after 5-5 in a set. From that point on, there is a ton of pressure. Um, Every player feels pressure. I don't care who you are. And for him to win four sets in a row that went to that 5-5 mark tells me Nick Kyrgios handles the pressure pretty well. So maybe Jim Jim Courier wasn't all wrong. And uh, actually, that was what inspired Nick Kyrgios. Um, That's a dominant performance for him to win all four of those sets in a row. 
Uh, that's a great way to handle pressure and says a lot about Nick Kyrgios' character. I agree, and I, I really wish I could remember the source of this. It was on this show uh, about two or three years ago when uh, Fetter was asked about playing Davis Cup compared to anything else. And one of my co-hosts, it was either Sandy Middleman or Barry Buss, said uh, that Fed basically said that um, playing Davis Cup, uh, it was, it was, you know, a Wimbledon, uh, playing Davis Cup is, uh, playing a Wimbledon final is like having tea compared to playing Davis Cup for your country. And wow, I mean, those are powerful words from Federer. I mean, obviously he's had massive success at Wimbledon, but at the same point in time, one Davis Cup crown with Stan Varenka for Switzerland. And, uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of guys crack under pressure. At the same point in time, it's made a lot of careers. It's really laid a great foundation for Novak Djokovic and Serbia. It's uh, Andy Murray can point to that as well with respect to his Davis Cup heroics for Great Britain. And uh, never know what might be around the corner for Nick Kyrgios. But uh, getting back to Jordan Thompson, this is somebody who was not on my radar, Jared, uh, at the beginning of this year. And, uh, again, I follow a lot of Aussies on Twitter, and they were speaking pretty highly about Jordan Thompson, who had some success at the Australian Open. But he he became on he came on my radar with respect to all the Aussies chiming in and chirping in about him. And here he is playing in Brisbane, and he didn't seem to feel the pressure. He mowed down Jack Sock and, in my opinion, you know, got the Aussies on the board and set the tone for this tie. Nick Kyrgios then followed suit, giving them a two-love lead. Jordan Thompson, what can you tell us about him? Yeah, Jordan Jordan Thompson, for me, is one of a, a group of Australians who you really just pay attention to in January, and they'll do well in January playing in Australia, and they'll get lots of attention, and people will say this is you know, a, a great year coming up for whoever it may be, whether it's Jordan Thompson or, or someone else, and then they usually fail to live up to that. Well, this Davis Cup tie was being played in Australia, so Jordan Thompson felt right at home there performed extremely well, had a great result, and uh, always the hope for the Australians is they start the year at home, they do well, and they want to use that as a launching pad for success in the rest of their year. So here's a chance now for Jordan Thompson. He's had some success. Switching over to clay now, let's see if he can bring that success along with him onto the clay. That's going to be a tough thing to do, but um, if he does, he can continue to build that ranking up. We could see him uh, move up quite a bit in the ranking, which would be great for his career at this point. Yeah, good call. And, and the Australians find themselves in the semifinals, Jared. Here we are, middle of middle of April. They will not compete again until the middle of September. So uh, a, a feel-good story for Nick Kyrgios, Jordan Thompson, the rest of the Aussies, as uh, they've got uh, two more matches, two more ties to win, and they're Davis Cup champions. A lot to, lot to accomplish between now and then, but. Um, Let's go back to, again, uh, a coaching decision. Jim Courier did play Jack Sock and Steve Johnson, who did come good in the doubles, got the USA on the board. Obviously have to win a tie in order to try and win this. Um, Sock did not play the fourth rubber. Sam Quarry, no problem substituting him, but uh, I don't think uh, it would have mattered who Nick Kyrgios faced on the other side of the net up 2-1 at home, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Federer fortunate, if you will, to b- defeat Kyrgios. Not too many people can defeat Nick Kyrgios at this point in time. Any thoughts on the strategy that Courier employed there? Yeah, I mean, Courier had lots of options at his dispense, and it's really easy to second-guess afterwards. 
Um, he had so many players he could have chose from. He went with Sam Query. That one uh, obviously didn't work out, and it's really easy to criticize afterwards. But the truth is, whoever he threw out there, Nick Kyrgios was going to be the favorite. And uh, Sam Query is the kind of guy we've seen this in his career. He can cool down a hot player really fast. When he is serving well, he can take out some of the best in the world. Remember when he beat Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon, Djokovic just came off of winning the Grand Slam. He had just won uh, Roland Garros' fourth major in a row. So for Sam Query to then go and beat him at Wimbledon was a huge win for him. So he's capable of taking out these top players, and it's, it's really a, a flip of the coin. And you got to take those chances when you're going up against Nick Kyrgios to try to stay alive in a Davis Cup tie. Yeah, I like the choice. Uh, Sock uh, obviously playing two consecutive days, a long uh, doubles five-setter as well. As you mentioned, Query, I, I look at that as sort of a wild card move. You never know what you're going to get from Sam Query. He could be a giant killer. He can compete well. He might not compete well. But, uh, yeah, against a buzzsaw like Nick Kyrgios, I, I'm, I'm all good with the decision that Courier made there as well. Australia and Nick Kyrgios just too good for the U.S. at home and the Aussies are into the semifinals. Uh, U.S. will uh, await their next foe coming up. But uh, Australia now, Jared, will travel to Belgium and uh, play the Belgians. David Goffin played six sets in Davis Cup ties over the weekend, 6-0. And uh, I go back to a couple of years ago, a year and a half in Cincinnati, when Goffin really competed well against Djokovic, uh, lost a uh, first set breaker, then didn't really, you know, Djokovic was on top of his game at that point in time for a long time, took Govan out, interviewed Govan one-on-one, and, and he was really pleased with his performance, uh, even though he lost uh, and, and how well he competed. I was a little surprised that uh, maybe he wasn't taken aback a bit by the fact he didn't get the win, would have been a big ask to, to defeat Djokovic in Cincinnati, but Goffin was very pleased with how he played. Uh, followed that up, obviously, last year uh, with the Indian Wells Miami semifinal appearances. Uh, didn't played a great North American hardcore season in March, but uh, then follows it up with six six sets one against the Italians. Uh, I think this could be a springboard for Goffin going forward. Yeah, I, I like that story you tell about GoFan, about how, um, you know, he, he took the loss, but he performed well, and he was happy with his experience. I, I contrast that a lot with Ryan Harrison. You may remember this. I want to say it was 2011 when Djokovic is having his great season. He plays Ryan Harrison at Cincinnati. Harrison has a little bit of success towards the end of the match pretty well, made Djokovic work pretty hard to get that win. And afterwards, Harrison's kind of ripping on himself, saying he didn't play nearly well enough. And so big contrast between Harrison's reaction and GoFan's. And, uh, you know, GoFan keeping that positive attitude, and it pays off here at Davis Cup. As you mentioned, he wins all six sets, uh, was such a huge part of of their success at this tournament, and ends up getting the clinching win over a a much older Paolo Lorenzi, winning that one 6-3, 6-3, Yep, and GoFan just tasted the the top ten for the first time. I think it was only for a couple weeks, but he can always say he's been in the top ten. I think he's going to return there, Jared. I always uh, sort of thought he was an overachiever, uh, really looking back at him for the last year and a half. But I'm really impressed with uh, what I've seen for GoFan. Again, 
what I've explained earlier, Davis Cup can do marvelous things in the mind of a tennis player and, and parlay them going forward, and, and they can use those as springboards. And let's not forget, the Belgians are hosting the Australians. Um, you know, a, a really nice win for Steve Darcy in Belgium as well. Tough player. Uh, you know, someone not to overlook. Goffin is going to be a tough out no matter what. Uh, no, you know, Kyrgios Goffin could be pretty intriguing, and I'd probably have to give the edge to Goffin playing whomever else he's going to play besides Nick Kyrgios. So this is going to be a struggle. A lot of people want to pencil in an Australia-Serbia final, but uh, not so fast, if you will. The Belgians might have to say something about that, and again, Australia will have to go on the road. Um, just uh yeah, obviously we're in April and this wouldn't take place until September, but any initial thoughts on the semifinal? Well making a prediction this far in advance, I'm definitely gonna lean towards Australia in that one, mainly because Belgium has really one player that they rely on and if for some reason he's not at the event, um it's it's gonna be a blowout. Whereas the Australians, obviously Nick Kyrus is their star, but they have uh Bernard Tomic, they have a number of guys that could step into that role. And, and lead them to victory. Um, so much pressure falls on the shoulders of GoFan. You need someone like Steve Darcy to pull off a big upset to have a chance. Otherwise, it's going to come down to that doubles tie. So um, ha- having to make a prediction now, I'm definitely picking Australia. Even on the road, I think they can get the job done. Yeah, I agree. Um, it'll be interesting to see how deep Kyrgios might be able to get in the U.S. Open. Obviously, this is a quick turnaround, and uh, he'd have to fly to Europe immediately thereafter. But uh, I agree with you. The the Aussies have the horses compared to the Belgians, even though they'll be on the road. Uh, But, yeah, we're we're a number of months away from that, uh, five months to be exact, and uh, such is the Davis Cup scheduling. But uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, and we're going to shift gears to the other half of the Davis Cup format, Jared. Novak Djokovic, really the only one of the big four, big five, if you will now, who is in action over Davis Cup weekend. Good for him. He got the job done against Ramos in of Spain. Um, Rafael Nadal not showing up for this tie. Novak Djokovic did, and um, not only did he get the win, but uh, the Serbs won the first three, so he got a chance to rest on Sunday. But uh, let's talk about Djokovic rebounding, if you will, playing Davis Cup. Yeah, this was uh, pretty routine for Djokovic, and this is without him still not playing his best tennis. I think that's the most positive sign. Um, Djokovic during his successful runs in 2015, 2016, 2011. When he's playing his best, the sign is he's winning by large margins, even without playing spectacular tennis. Um, so even in his off days, he's winning easily. And I, I Watching that match against Ramos, it, it didn't look spectacular from Djokovic. He looked pretty um, relaxed. It was routine for him, and he got through it 6-3, 6-4, 6-2 without his best stuff. Um, so that was a lot of positive signs there for Djokovic. And as you mentioned, uh, he didn't have to play on the second day. So we got to see Nenad Zimanyic playing some singles. Uh, that didn't go so well for him, but you know it yeah. was interesting to see him out there on the singles court. Yeah, I mean – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back to uh, right after the Olympics, Jared. Novak Djokovic actually won the Rogers Cup, the uh, Masters 1000 in Canada last year. He didn't play his great stuff there either, and yet he still won a Masters 1000. He, wa- he was probably, good Lord, I'd say maybe a third to half of his best stuff, and he still mowed down the ATP field 
and won that Masters 1000. This is how good Novak Djokovic is. Obviously, needs to be a little bit better to to compete and win majors going forward and even Masters 1000s perhaps on clay. But um, again, we look at the career of Novak Djokovic winning that Davis Cup really helped propel him and He's within, he's within smelling distance of another Davis Cup, possibly, for Serbia. Uh, they're going to have to go on the road. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, Djokovic led off and got Serbia to a one-love lead. And Viktor Troitsky, nice to see him playing well. Nice, nice win over Kareno Busta. Yeah, again, really uh, solid win. Won it comfortably, 6-3, 6-4, uh, That one never really competitive. And also what that did for him was he was going to play Carreño Busta again the next day in doubles. And Mark Lopez plus anyone is a great doubles team. Uh, so that was going to be a big test for the Serbs no matter what. And Trotsky and Zimanić came through with the win there. So that, that was really nice for them to be able to get that win. I think that shows that they are capable of being competitive against anyone. And I was saying last week, I think doubles is without a doubt the weak spot for the Serbs. Well, they got a win at that spot against Mark Lopez. So that's mm-hmm. really impressive for them to be able to get that done, and that bodes well for their success moving forward. This isn't just Novak Djokovic plus company. Um, Victor Chorisky is a legitimate Davis Cup player, and uh, that yep. doubles team all of a sudden now is looking pretty strong. Yeah, completely agree. And we, we talked about the Australians being the favorite in the semifinals against the Belgians. That's going to be on the road. The Serbs, uh, again, everybody wants to pencil in Serbia-Australia Davis Cup final. They've got work to do. They play a French team on the road next. And, uh, Jared, France took out Great Britain, uh, swept them, you know, got through that on Saturday. Obviously, Andy Murray not playing for Great Britain. But looking at the French roster, you know, we, we look at the Spanish roster of horses, if you will, who they can roll out. And uh, France... Joe Wolfertzanga, a dad for the first time. Gil Monfils on the shelf yet again. Gilles Simone not playing. Hebert not playing. Okay, we'll just throw out Luca Puy and Jeremy Chardy. Boom. Two love after one day. And, oh, yeah, we get the doubles done. We can plug somebody like Bento in for doubles and uh, get the job done. It gets a pretty darn good Great Britain squad on Saturday. Very, very impressive from the French. Yeah, I mean, even Gasquet wasn't there. The the French have yeah. so many uh, players to choose from. And, you know, it's a tough situation for Yannick Noah where he has uh, a spoil of riches. Um, you know, so many players he could choose from. And it's just a tough decision picking the right one, picking the right piece to plug in. Um, but, yeah, this is – I'd say they're the favorite against Serbia going into the quarterfinals – or going into that semifinal. I wouldn't be penciling – Serbia just yet. Um, this French team is extremely good. I always picked them to do well, and they've kind of disappointed the last few years. Um, but who knows, this might be the year where they finally put it together because they definitely have the pieces to make up a great Davis Cup team. I almost think they'd, they'd rather that the format was closer to college tennis where you have the top six players going against each other. Uh, France would win that every time because they have the best four, five, six in the world. Um, they would have a huge advantage there. Um, but the Davis Cup format definitely puts an emphasis on stars, and you need a, you need a true star. And um, Francis has a ton of really, really solid players. They were kind of missing that one star. I suppose you could say Sanga is that person. Um, but then you have the question of is Sanga going to be there or not. 
Yeah, I was really I was really expecting this to be one all going into doubles, and I thought uh, Murray, uh, Jamie Murray, and England had a chance to maybe steal the doubles. But uh, I want to go back to the first result, uh, Jared Luca Pui, who again lost a couple matches to Donald Young in North America in March. Kyle Edmund, who uh, again a lot of hopes, a lot of high hopes from the Brits for him. Pui won a very difficult 7-5, 7-6, 6-3 match over Kyle Edmund. He got it done in straights. Shardy then got the job done over Daniel Evans. But how about Luca Pui again? This is somebody who had a pretty crummy march by his standards. He's in the top 20, playing some good tennis. Solid, solid win over Kyle Edmund, getting the job done, laying the foundation for the French who just motored after that. I'm extremely impressed by Luca Pui and what he accomplished here. Yeah, Pui's an extremely good player. He's good on all surfaces, but particularly the clay. This is an indoor clay event. Kyle Edmund actually kind of known for his clay. He's good for a Brit on clay, but he's going up against a Frenchman. Uh, Luca Pui just extremely successful on the dirt. Um, came through in those tight moments. He he is a young player, but relative to Kyle Edmund, he's a veteran, and he looked like a veteran the way he came through some of those tight sets. It was uh, a very prof- um, good-looking professional performance from Pui, and uh, really happy to see him come away with the win in that one. Yeah, I agree. And so uh, we've got the semifinals set, as we mentioned, Australia going to Belgium and the Serbs going to France. Uh, remains to be seen where these are going to be played. Uh, I, again, like you, Jared, like the Australians over the Belgians. Again, this is still a long ways away, five months to be exact. But uh, you're leaning more toward the French over Serbia. Uh, obviously, the French are at home, and as we mentioned, uh, you corrected me. I didn't even mention Gasquet that uh, wasn't was not in the French lineup here. Wow, it really doesn't matter who they wheel out. But uh, again, they'd be facing Djokovic, Troitsky, Zimenech. Um, I'm split right down the middle on this one. Obviously, a lot of tennis to be played. We'll see who is on the shelf, who is able to go. Obviously, U.S. Open results could factor into this one as well. Um, you're leaning toward the French. I'm still going with Serbia. I, I just see this as an opportunity for the Serbs, especially Djokovic, regardless if he wins the U.S. Open or uh, is out in the first week, which I don't think will happen. I, I just see this piece of determination. I, I, it's almost a makeup for me with Djokovic crashing out early to Del Potro in the Olympics. He, he wants this for Serbia, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and this is going to be a lot of fun to see the French hosting. I'm kind of curious to see if they might try to host again at Roland Garros. I think that would be a lot of fun mm. to see. Um, I, I don't know what surface. If you're France, you have players that are good on both hard and clay courts, so they can do yep. both. Uh, with Serbia, Djokovic and Troitsky, good on all three surfaces. So the surface choice is, choice is going to be interesting, and there's really not an obvious choice here. So I'm really kind of curious to see where that goes. I'm curious to see which players show up for the event. Um, that's going to have a huge bearing on who comes away with the win here. Um, but I think this could be a really exciting tie. I think it's something that the French crowd will really get behind uh, with Djokovic yeah. being in the event, going up against some of these top French guys. Uh, so this is going to be a really fun semifinal event um, one of the more fun semifinals we've seen in Davis Cup in a while, I would think. 
Yeah, completely agree. Uh, Davis Cup, again, we had mentioned on the show last week, uh, you know, should the Americans get to the semis, it can really spark some serious interest here. That didn't happen, but um, I'm thinking, again, the Nick Kyrgios effect and uh, what he will bring to tennis if he hasn't already brought. Um, I, I think a lot of people join on that bandwagon, and we'll see going forward, uh, you know, especially if the Aussies get to the final. But, um, Jared, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We've talked quite a bit about the quarterfinals in the World Group and uh, previewing the semis. The World Group playoffs were set as well. And, you know, I have to say, I have to admit I'm a little disappointed out of the eight matchups. Uh, I'm only intrigued by about one and a half, one and two-thirds, if you will, um, that is Argentina and Kazakhstan and, and maybe Croatia, Colombia. I really didn't see anything else uh, in the mix. Uh, how about yourself? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. There we go. Sorry, Pete. I- I'm a little confused right now. I'm, I'm I'm on the Davis Cup website, and it's still showing the 2016 results. Oh, boy. Yep. Uh, go to World Group Playoffs. You're all set. Yeah, no, I, that, that's what exactly what I'm looking at. It's still showing 2016. Um, well, I'll read them off to you. We got Argentina, Kazakhstan, in Kazakhstan. Yep, okay. No, no, no go, keep reading them. Oh, yep. Argentina at Kazakhstan, Croatia at Colombia, Belarus at Switzerland, Czechs at the Dutch, Germany at Portugal, Brazil at Japan, Russia at Hungary, and India at Canada. Wow, I mean, the Belarus-Switzerland one, I'm definitely going to be curious about that. I would expect on the WTA, obviously, having uh, Victoria Azarenka from Belarus. <laughs> really, Belarus has not been on the map on the ATP at all. Um, so, and I imagine with this being a world group playoff, Vavrinka and Federer aren't going to be there either. So, Belarus is actually going to come into this with a legitimate chance. We could see Belarus in the in the world group next year. I mean, what a twist that would be. Uh, to think they're really just a few small upsets away from being able to do that. Um, Because, you know, like I said, they have not been on the map at all on the men's tennis side. Um, And this would certainly change that if they got into the world group. Yeah, obviously Mirny, I think, will will still be appearing for Belarus. I, I, you know, the old standby Vladimir Volchkov, who, uh, you know, the ranking was in the four or five or six hundreds, and they'd still wheel him out for Davis Cup. That hasn't happened in a while, but... uh, yeah, you never know. I mean, the Belarusians will see what uh, what they come up with. But you mentioned a, a fairly depleted Swiss squad. Obviously, will be on hand to uh, to be on the road against Belarus. I agree. Yep. And uh, the Kazakhs. Yeah, the Kazakhs, Jared. They've had you know they've gotten all the way to the semifinals. They're actually going to host Argentina. Uh, you know, we'll see if Del Po's going to be there. Monaco. We never know what we're going to get from Argentina, but. Uh, Obviously, the Kazakhs with their Russian recruits are, are a formidable Davis Cup squad. Tons of financial incentives for these guys to do well, so you never know there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Argentina is another one of these countries, right along with Spain, France, United States, that have a lot of guys to choose from. And really, no matter who they roll out there, it's going to be a lot of fun to see. You could have uh, Guido Pela. You could have uh, Diego Sebastian Schwartzman. We could have one Martin Del Potro. Unfortunately, no more David Nelbandi, and we're going to miss him. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, whoever it is, uh, this, this, Argentinian, this Argentinian team 
is extremely deep, a lot of fun players to watch, and uh, looking forward to that, Ty, as far as uh, a World Group playoff goes. That one's going to be pretty exciting. Yep, and uh, what, what, any thoughts on uh, the Croats traveling to Columbia? I always love it when a tie is a Davis Cup tie is played in South America, only because there are so few ATP events there. So uh, I know when the U.S. played uh, in Bogota a few years ago, I was really surprised that there weren't as many people that were there. But um, I, I I always love it when they are able to host and. Uh, you know the Croatians can roll out just about anyone as well, but uh, Colombia, I, I, I'm. This is a this is a somewhat intriguing matchup to me as well. Yeah, well, Colombia has their great doubles team that's been having a lot of success, so they're going to be fun to watch. And also they have the 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 Colombian big three of singles: Alejandro Faya, Alejandro Gonzalez, and um, Santiago Giraldo. So all three of those are a lot of fun to watch. All three of them have their rankings down a little bit right now, so we're not getting to see them on the tour level, unfortunately. Um, but here they are in Davis Cup, a, a chance to capture them there. And for the home fans in Colombia, they love watching those three guys play. Um, they're really heroes in their country in a lot of ways. Tennis is actually pretty big there. They just haven't had some successful players, unfortunately. Uh, but the fans in Colombia really get behind their tennis um, obviously, everything's second to soccer in Colombia, but tennis is still a big sport there. Yeah, good call. Uh, that that could be a, a good one to watch. And again, it's in South America, which is a good thing. And um, Jared, we wheeled from uh, Davis Cup right into the clay court season. A couple of tournaments going on: the U.S. Clay Court Championships in Houston, Texas, and Marrakesh, Morocco, as well. Uh, before we talk a little bit about what's going on this week, let's look at the bigger picture, the long game, if you will, on the clay court season. Rafael Nadal uh, has not yet won a title in 2017. That said, as we know, Rafa is at his best when he has a lot of match play. And Federer, I believe, has one more victory at 19 than Nadal has at 18 in 2017. Rafa's played plenty of tennis in 2017. No titles yet, but we are on the doorstep of his favorite time of the year. Monte Carlo is right around the corner. My opinion, Rafa's going to have a monster clay court season. I'm really impressed with what I've seen with him. He's run into the buzzsaw that is Roger Federer in 2017. Three times, that is. And uh, Fed's going to play an abbreviated, if at all, clay court season my opinion, very few obstacles in the road for Rafael Nadal on clay. Yeah, I mean, I think actually if you're Nadal, you're almost upset that Federer's not going to be there because this mm-hmm. is now Nadal's chance to get Federer back and kind of say, no, I'm still the person that dominates this rivalry because uh, it's, you know, Federer's turned this rivalry around recently and that's been really impressive to see. I'd be surprised to see Federer be able to continue that on clay. Nadal is still the king of clay. Um, you know, he's lost to Djokovic here a few times recently, uh, but that doesn't change anything. He is still the king of clay. And, um, yeah, I, I totally agree that it's going to be um, a monster clay season for him. I don't know who's there to stop him. You know, maybe Stan Wawrinka will have a big tournament or two. Um, but other than that, it looks like smooth sailing for Nadal. He's he's a clear favorite going into every single tournament he plays on clay this year. And, uh, yeah, let's see how many titles he can rack up. Yeah, my piece of advice to Rafa, please skip Barcelona. Uh, You know, you've got a ton of match play under your belt. I know you love to play in Spain. You can still get the job done in Madrid. But uh, 
where you are with your age. Uh, let's let's erase and delete one. Uh, that being a 500, uh, unless you want to skip a different 1,000, uh, uh, I'm not sure. But uh, would like to see him, you know, really at his best and optimal coming into Roland Garros. Uh, and I think an extra tournament could. Uh, you never know at this point in his career with with the mileage he's put on his body. And Jared, uh, rough, uh, Roger Federer mentioned uh, right after he won Miami, going to stick the next two weeks on hard courts playing there, and then really uh, a couple weeks before Ron Garros uh, starting to play on clay. He he's certainly earned this rest. I agree with you that uh, I'm sure Nadal wishes he were there. He'd like to get him back for what's already happened early in the year, but. Um, I think Fed deserves a pass here again, uh, accomplishing extraordinarily more than anybody, even himself, had thought this year. What a start to the year. And uh, my opinion, Fed can do whatever he wants at this point in time. We certainly see that on the WTA Tour. Uh, again, we should appreciate the fact that he is competing and competing well. We'll be 36 in four months from now, Jared, and uh, – Whatever Fed wants to do, I'm good with. It's just a pleasure to see him at this point. Yeah, I kind of have mixed feelings on this because, as you mentioned, he is going to be 36. We've been saying this forever, uh, but there has (laughs) to be a clock somewhere where at at some point this has to come to an end. So uh, I kind of want Fed to just get out there and play a ton. Let's watch him play a bunch um, while we still can. Of course, uh, instead of going to play on the clay, he's coming out to my neck of the woods. He's going to be in Seattle on April 29th. So uh, I'm thinking about making the drive up up to Seattle to go see Federer play in person. Um, That would be such a huge treat. And actually, uh, I've been to Indian Wells a bunch of times. I've never been able to catch a Federer match. It's just never worked out. I've never seen Federer play in person. So uh, that's kind of a bucket list thing. I'd like to do it before he's on one of those senior tours, watch him when he's truly competitive, truly at his best. And uh, right now he's playing some of the best tennis of his career. Uh, so what what a better time to go see him play. So I, I can't complain too much because uh, th- this actually works out pretty well for me. Uh, the other thing is this shows a little bit about where Federer's priorities in his career are at at this point. Um, you know, he, he could go out and play a bunch of 1,000s and try to make a push for the number one ranking. He's number one in the race ranking right now. So he's certainly – one of the favorites to get to the year-end number one, um, but he's kind of choosing not to go that route. He's uh, more focused on the long game, and I think that says a lot about where his goals and his priorities are at at this point in his career. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I like his strategy, if you will. He's always scheduled exceptionally well, getting places early, getting comfortable, not uh, hustling from place to place. Uh, again, he plans on playing deep in tournaments, and, and he's picking his spots right now. Karen Health, who I do a show with, uh, was at Indian Wells, Jared, and, and one of the, the remark from Federer that stands out at me in one of his pressers, she said, you know, I'm not going to do any favors for anybody anymore, Federer said, which I get that at this point. You know, he's you know he's opened up a tournament in Turkey. He's played in Portugal, these little 250s and whatnot. Um it's all about him at this point, and why shouldn't it be? I mean, he's done everything for everyone along the way. He's going to pick his spots, and uh, great that you might be able to see him in Seattle. I think he's playing Murray uh, this week in Switzerland as well for Africa. So nice to have, to see him having some fun along the way. Let's not forget he played Hopman Cup earlier this year. So Fed uh, sort of uh, going around the block a few different places, little 
few diversions, few tangents here and there, having a great time along the way. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, going forward um, with respect to the clay court season. We are in the clay court season, Jared. Uh, Marrakesh, Morocco, intriguing second-round match coming up. Grigor Dimitrov, who's had a very nice start to 2017. Tommy Robredo, I believe it wasn't just a few years ago, Jared, where he won three consecutive five-setters at Roland Garros. Uh, Obviously, this guy can play. Uh, Father Time is starting to tap him on the shoulder, but always a pleasure to see Tommy Roberto play, especially on clay. Can he challenge Dimitrov here? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Tommy Roberto has one of the best forehands in tennis, and we saw him do this to Djokovic at Cincinnati, I think, uh, I want to say 2015, when he upset Djokovic there. Um, He moves very well. The clay is slow which works out well for him. It, it protects his backhand. It gives him a chance to run around his backhand a lot more. Um, and so it gives him a chance to also dictate then with the forehand. So I think that really helps his chances against Dimitrov. Dimitrov, someone who's an all-court player, and that's not really um, something that he can put to use on the clay. So he's had some struggles on clay throughout his career. I think Roberto could definitely make this tough for him. If it becomes a physical battle, though, I like Dimitrov here, Robredo. Uh, as you mentioned, um, he, he's playing with a protected ranking right now. Uh, he's getting up there in age. And you mentioned uh, three years ago that he won three five-set matches in a row. Well, just about a couple of years before that, he was thinking about retirement. So this is someone yeah. who could be well into his retirement at this point in his life, uh, but he's choosing to play tennis. And so we're grateful that, uh, that Tommy Robredo is still playing. Um, but taking out number one seed is going to be a big ask for him in this one. Yep, I agree. Um, if anybody can take Dimitrov out, it could very well be Robredo. But, yeah, big ask. It's just a wild card scenario, if you will. Uh, switching gears, Jared, second round in Houston, Texas. Tommy Haas, first off, first round, takes out Raleigh Opelka, the big American. Surprising result, if you will. Uh, I thought Opelka can get the job done. Tommy's sh- still showing He's got gas in the tank. Tommy Haas's reward for beating the big, lanky American, Jack Sock, in the second round. And uh, obviously Sock will probably have a bit of a chip on his shoulder with respect to what didn't happen in Australia. Did get the job done in doubles there, but um, we're going to see a, a, a Davis Cup hangover from Jack Sock, or is this going to be a, a rebound and uh, just taking it all out on Tommy Haas here? Yeah, um, I predicted a rebound because in, in my bracket, I have John Isner beating Jack Sock in the final. So the the two Davis Cup losers become the Houston heroes in, in a week span if my draw works out. Obviously, um, you know, you never know. You're just filling out the draw, and uh, I already got one wrong because I picked Opelka to beat Haas. Uh, I really did not expect Haas to even be competitive in that one, and the only set he lost was in a tiebreaker to one of the – or excuse me, 4-6 – so one break to one of the best servers in tennis right now. So Haas is playing pretty well. He can make this tricky for Jack Sock, and uh, especially if Jack Sock's feeling a bit of a hangover, uh, we could see an early exit from him here. Yep, I agree. And um, also in Houston, Jared, uh, Tennis Sandgren, 25-year-old American, he won the 75K Tempe Challenger. I had a chance to see him play here in the semifinals, wish I, wish I had a chance to see the final. We were rain-delayed here in Arizona in February. He did get the job done. 25 years old, came through qualifying, uh, 
first main draw ever on the main uh, on the ATP tour and you know, you look at the number of Americans, uh especially the potential Americans who just get wild carded in the main draws and uh they just go out there and compete. This is a guy who's really made it happen here uh, most recently had to earn it. Came through qualifying the Clay Court Championships in Houston, came through qualifying successfully. He's going to play Escobedo in the first round, but I uh, want to give a shout-out to 25-year-old Tennis Sangren of Tennessee, who is in his first main draw on the ATP Tour. Yeah, and he's uh, named after the sport. So when Sangren wins, yep. tennis wins, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, so we, we should really all be cheering for him, shouldn't we? Um, but this is going to be a fun match to see Escobedo. Uh, is always a fun player to watch. And I, I love when this happens, when a qualifier plays a wild card. Um, because what that means is neither guy was good enough based on their ranking to get in, and one earned it and one was gifted it, and now the two get to go square up against each other. So the the qualifier against wild card matchups are always a lot of fun. And I, I kind of wonder what the all-time record is in the ATP of, of wild cards versus qualifiers. I'd bet qualifiers win probably about 60% of the time um, because they have that experience of having already gone through the qualifying draw, they're feeling good, they're feeling comfortable with the conditions, and then they get to beat a guy that's fresh out there. So this is going to be a tough one for Escobedo. I think he's probably going to be a slight favorite here, uh, but Sangren could definitely pull off the upset in this one, especially because he's got the hot hand right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll make mention, you know, Tennis Sangren won the Chempy Challenger Ernesto Escobedo was in that main draw, Jared, and uh, with all the props and press uh, and accolades going toward uh, Ernesto Escobedo, who's in the ATP Top 100, Tennis Sangren actually won the Tempe Challenger. And again, this is an event that uh, Escobedo was in the main draw, so credit for him for, for a good run earlier this year. Let's see. I agree with you. I, I would give the edge to Escobedo, but we shall see. Uh, another intriguing matchup in Houston, first-rounder, Kevin Anderson, Fernando Verdasco. Household names on the ATP Tour meeting first round in a 250, Jared. Yeah, both guys, former top teners. Obviously, Kevin Anderson was there shortly. Uh, Fernando Verdasco, a, a very veteran player, um, has been up and down the rankings throughout his career, uh, but is playing pretty well right now. This is going to be a fun one to see both these guys are down a little bit and looking to rebound. And so at least one of them is going to get a win here. So for whoever does get the win, this is going to be a huge boost for them, um, you know, just psychologically moving forward. And then they're going to get Nicholas Kicker in the second round. That's a very winnable second-round match. So um, suddenly you're looking at one of these guys potentially making a run in the draw. I like Fernando Verdasco with this one. Uh, Kevin Anderson, his biggest weapon is a serve. And I always say for those guys – his biggest weapon is the serve. It's tough to beat left-handed players uh, because left-handed players just ruin your second serve automatically. Um, so Verdasco has a huge advantage there on top of it being played on clay. So I like Verdasco to get through this one. And, uh, yeah, let's see how far in the draw he can get. I completely agree. And um, anything else from either Houston or Morocco uh, before we just touch briefly on the Monte Carlo Masters next week? Well, we can't get through this Houston draw without mentioning Francis Tiafo against Tomas Bellucci. That has the potential mm. to be an absolutely incredible match. It could also be a total dud. You never know with these two players. <laughs> um, but w when these two guys are at their peak, 
Um, they're a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, Francis Diafo has a lot of buzz around him for the kind of future people are expecting out of him. Bellucci, at times, has been one of the best players in tennis. He's gone uh, toe-to-toe with Djokovic. And I always remember that 2011 semifinal match. I, I want to say it was the Madrid Masters. It might have been Rome. It was one of those two where he was about to end Djokovic's winning streak. And he was so close to doing it, wasn't able to do it in the end. Uh, but that just shows he's, at times, as good as the best in the world. Um, and so you never know which Bellucci's going to show up, but he's always fun to watch. Good call. I like that a lot. And um, we talked about Nadal and uh, might run the table on the Masters 1000s on clay. We'll see. Obviously, Djokovic will have something to say about that. Stan Varenka as well and the rest of the ATP field. But, uh, you know, as early as uh, Monday morning, I believe, at 2 a.m. our time, Jared, the uh, Monte Carlo Masters will get underway live Live tennis on at two two thirty in the morning here, our time. Uh, pretty exciting. One of my favorite tournaments of the year. The the scene, the setting is unbelievable, and uh, it's uh, Rafael Nadal season once again. Uh, we we thought we were unsure of this the last few years, and uh, Nadal has proven us wrong. Not wrong, but time and time again he comes back when I think a lot of people have counted him out. I didn't go quite that far, but I certainly had my doubts uh, a couple of times. But 2017, we've already had three Rafael Nadal-Roger Federer matches, a couple in finals at a, at a major and at a 1,000. Unbelievable. I mean, Rafael Nadal's got to be feeling great about his chances this, this spring. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a really fun time to watch Rafael Nadal and see him kind of get back to prime Rafael Nadal, see what he's all about. But – like you said, I love this time of year, uh, starting with Monte Carlo. It starts, for me, about a six-week stretch of getting up at 3 a.m. every single day. Uh, we'll, we'll see how much I do that this year. Might have to tone it back a little bit. Um, but I always love getting up in the morning, have nothing going on uh, on my day except tennis. And you just turn on a tennis match and uh, focus on that where while you're half asleep, barely waking up. Um, but it, it's, it's a lot of fun, always good memories. Um, from watching these Monte Carlo tournaments. And, uh, yeah, also excited to see how Djokovic does. Remember, Djokovic last year lost in the first round to Vaselli. Uh That was a big yes. upset for him. That means he's coming in with a lot of losses behind him, having lost in the first round last year, which means no points to defend. All of a sudden, all the pressure's off Djokovic, and he's playing at home for him. This might be mm-hmm. a chance for him to kind of turn around his season. Uh, or, you know, maybe the pressure's off and he he lays an egg like he did last year. Uh, we really don't know. Um, but I think this is going to be a telling se- telling tournament for Djokovic as far as how will the rest of his clay court season go. We'll see. I like what you said. He's at home, and let's not forget he's won this. Uh, he's broken the dull streak there as well. So he knows how to get the job done here. Stan Varenka also a winner over Roger Federer in a Monte Carlo final Uh He'll be in the field as well, Jared. And so uh, anything else before we wrap up? Uh, and next time we talk, obviously, we'll be uh, a few days into Monte Carlo Masters. But anything else on the tennis schedule that you'd like to elaborate on at this time? Well, it's clay season. It's always really exciting to see players bust out the white socks just so that they can get them dirty. Um, okay. You know, I'll, I'll be looking for a clay court out here so I can get my own socks dirty. Let's uh, all get our socks dirty. It's a lot of fun. Love the clay season. 
Absolutely, and uh, very good. And on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next week when we start talking about today's and this week's results, as well as early results from the Monte Carlo Masters. Good night.